0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com This morning we will be finishing our series that we've been doing over the summer. the book of Zechariah. Now Zechariah was one of the prophets of the Old Testament and he's found right near the end of the Old Testament. So the best way to find Zechariah is if you hit Matthew and then go back a few pages you'll get Malachi and then Zechariah. And Zechariah was a prophet who spoke at a time when God's people had been away in Babylon, they'd been exiled, Jerusalem had been destroyed, people had been taken to live in Babylon and they'd been there for a few generations. So about 70 years had passed in Babylon and now the people are starting to come back to Jerusalem. But it's hard, they're coming to a city that's been leveled to the ground, they've got to build infrastructure again, they've got to rebuild their city. And as they're rebuilding, you've got a few prophets along the way of whom Zechariah is one who is speaking words to the people from God for their encouragement, for their upbuilding, for their challenge as well at this time when the city is being rebuilt. So Zechariah is often called a prophet of restoration and of rebuilding. Now, as I say that, I wonder how those words land with you, these ideas of restoration and rebuilding. I think over the last few years, this idea of rebuilding has been a common one, hasn't it? During the height of Covid, a lot of people were asking questions, how do we rebuild out of this thing that we've all been through together you had political campaigns here in the UK and in America as well trying to tap into this sentiment discussing how we build back better people are asking questions how do we build something again things have been in a crisis how do we come out of it well a couple of years on from the height of Covid I think we can look and see the way that maybe we thought rebuilding would go It's not quite gone to plan. The the kind of rebuilding we're seeing, it's not just like, well, let's rewind to 2019 and do that all over. Again, it doesn't work like that. Off the back of one crisis, you get a new crisis. You get a war in Europe. And then from that, you get energy prices skyrocketed and all the worry about cost of living. You've got uh, the climate crisis bubbling over as well it seems like we can't just rewind to where we were things are coming at us thick and fast and that question of how do we rebuild it's still a very live one and as well as the big societal things think about what we've been through personally i've been in community group with with lots of you in here and i know what you've been through. I know that uh, each of us in here have walked through different things, have had different challenges, have had different tragedies, have had different circumstances that have been hard. So as we start to think about rebuilding and being restored, that's very much a personal thing as well as a societal thing. How do we get back on our feet? And what Zechariah knew is that rebuilding a city isn't just about bricks and mortar. And I think he'd say to us that rebuilding our lives isn't just about getting our circumstances and situations back in order. It's something deeper than that. Restoration is about the inner life of men and women. Restoration begins with our heart. That's the restoration we need above all others. Our hearts need to be restored in their relationship to God. And so Zechariah has all these different visions that are speaking into this. And they're centred on the coming of a figure who God promises around whom restoration will be centred. And that's the coming Messiah that we see fulfilled in Jesus. So we're going to look at another of these visions today. And you'll find it in chapter 12 of Zechariah, uh, verse 10 we'll start with and we'll read uh, up to chapter 13 verse 1 Uh, and this is Zechariah's vision Uh, and if you've got a bible please do turn there you can also find the verses up on the screen Uh, let me read those verses for us now I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so when they look on me on him whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as grey as the mourning for Hadad rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself and their wives by themselves and all the families that are left, each by itself and their wives by themselves. And on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. I think this passage starts where I would have expected it to start. In fact, if you didn't know what I was talking about this morning, I did a little survey on the way in and said something like, hey, God wants to bring renewal and restoration. What does that entail? How does that start? About a lot of you would have said, Well, it starts with God pouring out the Holy Spirit. That's where I expected it would start if this is what Zechariah is trying to talk about. Because we've all heard the stories, right? We've heard the stories of when revival has come, when renewal has happened, when God has visited his people in power. We've heard about the Hebridean revival and the presence of God was just so tangible that people were drawn in. We've heard about Azusa Street as people are uh, are praying in that little bungalow in Los Angeles as the Holy Spirit is poured out. And that's the beginning of the the Pentecostal movement. We've heard about John Wesley and George Whitfield in their prayer meeting, praying in the new year and the glory of God descended upon them. And that started the great revival and awakening of the 18th century we've read in Acts of the day of Pentecost the disciples gathered in the upper room to pray and the Holy Spirit falls upon them we know that a move of God that a rebuilding work a restoring work starts with the Spirit of God being poured out and so maybe you've prayed that prayer I know I have I've prayed that prayer all the time God pour out your Spirit anew upon us But let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever just paused and thought about what would I expect to happen if God answered that prayer? If God did what I was asking, what would it look like? Because I've got a little confession to make. There have been times that I've prayed that prayer. And really what I've had in mind, if God was going to pour out his Holy Spirit and meet us with his presence that it'd be like, if you've ever played Mario, when you get that little mushroom boost, it gives you a bit of energy and it propels you forward for the next bit. That's kind of what I've got in mind might happen when God pours out his Holy Spirit. Not here. Not here. That's not what Zechariah is saying. I think when we pray like that, and when that's what we think might happen, I think we've missed it completely. You see, when we read scripture, when we see people meeting with God often they end up completely undone by the encounter think about Isaiah he was taken up to the throne room of heaven and what does he say he says whoa is me for I'm a man of unclean lips but when Simon Peter's beside the lake and he gets a glimpse of the glory of Jesus he's done this miracle that blows Simon Peter's mind he sees the holiness and glory beyond what he's ever comprehended. And what does he say? Get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. In Revelation, when John sees Jesus, he falls on his face as though dead. So it made me wonder, well, if this is what it did to them, then why wouldn't we expect it to do that to us if we met with the glory of God? It's not about a domesticated consumer experience. It's not about something that we can neatly package up on Sundays to make us feel good going into the week. This is deeper. This is a powerful work of God that cuts to the core, which is a very good thing. It exposes what's going on. It convicts us of what we need convicting of, which allows us to be remade and rebuilt. I've been doing some work in my garden this summer. I've got this section out the back of the house that had got a bit overgrown there were loads of roots and rocks and it was just a bit of a tangled mess and I've got a vision in my head of what I want to do there but I can't just go in and build what I want to build without first going in and removing all the rubbish that's there and something similar when God meets with us he starts by um, shining a light on he starts by dealing with everything that's currently in there So he can rebuild us back into his image. So Zechariah says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn as one mourns for an only child. This is a pleading with God. God have mercy on me. A sinner, this is mourning, this is deep. It's called repentance. It's called turning from our wicked ways to follow again the living God from the depths of our being. And this seems to be the starting point when the Bible talks about times of revival, renewal, refreshing. Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, puts it this way: if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. New Testament, Acts 3, very similar promise. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of of the Lord. Both had that same promise. Forgiveness and healing of the land, times of refreshing in the presence of of the Lord and both start with the call to repentance. Now repentance it literally means turning around and when I'm teaching on repentance I'll often talk about it uh, in terms of uh, when I was a kid and I ran away from home. It's a little illustration, it's a story that I tell and then there was a moment that, that I turned back and Came home, it's like that moment is literally repentance. But for this mo-, mo this morning, as you visualize that encounter that I had, that that story, that incident in my life, don't think of it as something coldly logical. What I wasn't doing in that moment that I turned around was thinking, well, I've reevaluated. I see the facts differently now. I've assessed it in my mind and uh, I've made a different calculation. It wasn't an intellectual exercise, primarily. It was something of the heart. The reason I ran away in the first place is because I was angry, I was annoyed. I wasn't getting my own way. So so I kicked off. It was deeply emotional. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be somewhere else. And that was coming from the depths of me. I just had to get out. And then there was a moment of like, oh my goodness i don't want to be out here i don't want this relationship to be broken this is wrong this isn't right i need to be there what i wanted i now don't want what i didn't want i now do want there's a change at the very heart level it's a deep and desperate guttural thing there's a cry of a broken spirit in repentance it's that moment where suddenly in the depth of who you are i see it i get it this isn't it I'm mourning for my sin. I'm pleading with God. Have mercy on me. Repentance often involves tears. I've been preaching for years. Quite often what, what happens after the word of God is preached is you see people in the room, they're crying. And they used to throw me when it happened. And I think, was it, was it something I said? You know, Have I upset them in some way? And it took a while for, for me to understand what was happening that actually this isn't a bad thing at all. This is often a sign that God's at work, that something deep in the person's life has been touched by the word of God and they're they're wrestling some stuff through, but God's doing a work of goodness and kindness that's been expressed through the tears. Charge Matthew, it's a tears of repentance are a sign that you're not just repenting from your sins but that you're truly sorry about them. It's not just you desiring for mercy. It's a sign of the grievance of your heart. So this morning I asked you, do you want to meet with God and see rebuilding happen? And are you ready for, for what that might entail? Where does this morning repentance come from? Well, Zechariah puts it this way when they look on me on him whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him it starts with looking on him there's a power in looking it changes things this here who you can see is Emmett Till now in 1955 he was a 14 year old boy African American boy lived in Chicago and was going on a trip to Mississippi in the southern US, Uh, racial attitudes there uh, you can imagine what they are, 1950s southern United States. When he got there he spoke to a shop assistant who was a white woman in her 20s and it's not recorded exactly how that exchange went but in some way uh, a fence was taken by Emmett Till. Uh, Some people say he didn't use the term ma'am and he ought to have other people suggesting other things. But whatever the reason, the shop assistant's boyfriend took offence at Emmett Till, 14-year-old boy. And so took him, beat him and murdered him. He was shot through the head and then he was thrown into water with a heavy fan wrapped around his neck with barbed wire. He was completely disfigured. It was a horrendous heinous crime and when it came time for his funeral his body had been taken back up to Chicago and his mum was planning the event she said we're going to have an open casket though his body and his face had been completely disfigured she said uh, these were her words let the people see what I have seen and so she wanted everyone to see this is what has been done to my son Alison Hobbs is a teacher of history at Stanford and she describes the effects of it. She says, Inside people shrieked, wailed and fainted. They were unprepared for what they saw. Till's right eye was missing and his face was disfigured beyond recognition. Photographs were taken and the black press disseminated the image of Till's mutilated corpse far outside of Chicago making Till's death a national story. In the years that followed, many civil rights activists would say that Till's murder had been what spurred them to join the movement. You see, there's a power in looking. Even something that you know in your head, this is what's going on, there's a power in looking with your own eyes and seeing it. And that's the same as what Zechariah is saying here. As we look on him who was pierced, the crucified Christ, that this repentance happens. Repentance and heart change does not happen on its own, it happens as we look to Jesus. Sometimes we get this the wrong way around. Sometimes we can make out as though we need to somehow work up a repentance from within ourselves before we can look to Jesus. I once had someone tell me, Tom, on a day where I know I've done something wrong, I don't feel like I can come to God. I need to deal with this first. So, well, that's the point. Jesus has dealt with it for you. Look to Jesus and his grace. Charles Spurgeon explains it. He says, a great mistake is very common among all classes of men. It's currently believed that we are first of all to mourn for our sins and then to look by faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. Most persons who have any concern about their souls but are not as yet enlightened by the Spirit of God think that there is a degree of tenderness of conscience and of hatred of sin which they are to obtain somehow or other and then they will be permitted and authorised to look to Jesus Christ. Now you'll perceive that this is not according to the scripture for according to the text before us men first look upon him who they have pierced and then. But not till then they mourn for their sin. The starting point is looking to him. And that's why, as we gather together, so much of what we do is drawing our eyes to him. It's why we sing songs about him. It's why we break bread in remembrance of his death for us. And hey, notice this in the text. This is amazing. Who is it that we're looking to? God says that they will look to me. To him who they have pierced. He says, me and him who they have pierced are synonyms. They are the same person. Wow. There's a promise here that this renewal, rebuilding, comes from seeing, from perceiving, the God who would himself suffer and be pierced. Now we know from our vantage point how that works. Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine how mind blowing it would be when God brings a message and says, "Hey, what will happen is your look on me, your God, who's been pierced, and so you will mourn, and you will plead for mercy, and you'll find the spirit of grace." Astounding that God would suffer. That uh, the heart of God is not power, but pathos. That He can identify with us in suffering. A generic, just, hey, look to God all high and lifted up, isn't going to lead to a rebuilt people. This is a very specific thing. Look to the one who's been pierced. Look to your God who came and laid himself down for you on a cross. Look to your God who came and suffered and died for the redemption of the world. This is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As we look at Christ on the cross... And we're like, whoa, we did that to him. It's our sin that held in that. We did that to him. And yet you look again, you're like, wow, he did that for us. It's amazing that he would go to the cross, that he would lay down his life, that he would take our sin so that we could be free. It's in his suffering we find hope. And here's two reasons. Firstly, in his death he identifies with our suffering secondly in his death he deals with our sin so on the point that he identifies with our suffering Hannah King said this profound reality is more than a theological concept Jesus suffered as a human being in a physical body sharing in the most painful and dark aspects of the human experience he knows what it is to be brutalised and humiliated, oppressed and abandoned. In the Incarnation, Jesus identifies with us, even in our worst forms of suffering. No human tragedy extends beyond his understanding or his solidarity. He identifies with us in our suffering and he deals with our sin. And that brings us on to that glorious promise In the last verse of our passage, chapter 13, verse one. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And this was fulfilled in Christ again. That his death opened the fountain that we could be cleansed. This passage, the one who they pierced, was quoted by John as he's describing the crucifixion when that soldier put the spear through the side of Jesus. It was pierced. It was also pierced by the nails, wasn't he? And as that spear went through his side, what comes out of his side? There's a fountain, there's blood, there's water it comes gushing out of his side. And they both symbolise the effects of his death. The blood shows us he's the sacrifice for sin. Through the Bible, sin is only ever covered through blood sacrifice. That's why you've got all the sacrifices of animals going on. Because they were pointing to this true sacrifice that can take away the sins of the world in Christ Jesus. His blood as the true Lamb of God is the sacrifice for sin. And the water shows the effect. It shows we've been washed clean as a result of his death. For us. sin is often thought of as defilement and so as Christ died it's like the defilement is been taken away. Think of it this way think of uh, you're wearing a pristine white shirt totally blemish free but over the course of the day you get it dirty you get it stained it becomes defiling you've got all these marks all over it that's the effect of our lives the sin has tarnished what should be a perfect righteousness and so through his death on the cross it's like Jesus takes that defiled dirty sin stained garment from us and puts it on himself and goes to the cross to deal with that sin for us on our behalf in exchange he takes his pristine perfect fully righteous never blemish his own garment off and he wraps it around us the robe of righteousness it's called in the scripture cleansing comes through christ and this fountain is open this fountain is open for you the fountain is open for me our passage today started with mourning it started with repentance it started with heartbreak for our sin but that's never the place that we're meant to stay Yes, we start by turning from our sin. We don't stay in that place of mourning because there is hope, because our sin has been dealt with, because we've been cleansed in Christ. We can look to Him and know, I am washed clean. I'm a new creation in Christ, and I can praise and worship the one who's done that. Everything we want to see happening, all the rebuilding that we dream of, all the renewal, all the restoration, it's not about bricks and mortar it's about our lives being made right in God through Jesus Christ and it all comes from the gospel this morning is a calling back to the gospel because I wonder if sometimes even without realizing it it's like we want to move past it it's like we want to go on to other things it's like hey I've got all these things going on in my life so what I really need is some good advice some top tips, some productivity help. How do I save time? How do I effectively manage my energy? We're looking for good advice. What we need is the good news that there's grace available, that Christ was pierced for us, that the fountain of forgiveness and cleansing is open. So we're looking for the Mario Power Boost to propel us into the next week when what we really need is the deep and reforming work of God in our souls. This morning we have an invitation. It's an invitation to look again on the pierced one. The one who was pierced for our transgressions. We have an invitation to mourn for our nation, for our city, for our community, for our own heart, for our own sin as we look and see what's there. And to plead for mercy and to come with tears. There's an invitation to come to the fountain and receive grace and mercy and cleansing through Christ our Lord.